I'm just saying cut out during the bridge. Um, we're going to continue our, our sermon series this summer. Uh, we're looking at the book of Proverbs, and we, I've entitled it The Gospel According to Proverbs. And so I thought it'd be good, just sort of as a, a pre-introduction, to read Proverbs chapter 2, verses 6 to 8, to remind us of why we're looking at the Proverbs through the lens of the gospel. So Proverbs 2, verses 6 through 8, say this, For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of the saints. And so what it reminds us before we move into it is that we need to listen and to soak in and understand the words of Scripture because it's essential for us to understand what God has to say and how he wants us to live our lives. The wisdom of God in the words of Scripture are a shield, it says, for us. They guard our paths and show us justice. The words of Scripture that come from the mouth of God protect us. They protect us the way, they protect the way of the saints. And we know those who believe in Jesus, we are the saints. God wants to protect your way as you walk through life and face all of the evils that it brings. The temptations, the trials, and the struggles, and the heartaches. He wants to protect you from sin and from rebellion and from idolatry because he knows those things are not good for you. And he wants to protect you from them. And so therefore, we have to listen and understand and soak in these precious words and engage with the Holy Spirit that lives in us to actually live the words out. Okay, so today we're going to look at two verses from Proverbs um, and a bunch of scripture, so get ready for that. We're going to look at two verses from Proverbs this morning, and we're going to talk about how our words can be life-giving to other people. So the first one we're going to look at is Proverbs 10, and 10, chapter 10, verse 11, which says, The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. And then we're going to look at Proverbs 12, 18. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we um, listen to your words coming from your mouth, from these scriptures this morning, I pray that we will soak them in, that they will enter uh, into our hearts and our minds in a way in which we don't forget them, but a way in which we understand them, what they mean, and how you want us to live them out. And even the grace that you bring to us when we fail to do that. You continue to be merciful, even in our failures. And we thank you for that, because I think that is one of the things that continues to help us to pursue you and to pursue our sanctification in you. So be with us now, in Jesus' name, amen. 
Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Words are usually spoken to comfort someone who's been bullied with words or simply spoken unkindly to. However, words can hurt you. Words can really, really hurt you. They're very dangerous. So that's a proverb, a cultural proverb that just is flat out wrong. They can go deep and they can last literally a lifetime. Words like, or phrases like, I'm so disappointed in you. You're a failure. I hate you. You will never amount to anything. You're fat. You're too skinny. You're not good enough. And on and on it goes, right? You've probably, you can remember some words that someone spoke to you that have been devastating at times. And that you remember them, even to this day, that were hurtful. But Proverbs brings us to the wisdom of God that says our words can hurt, but they can also help. And of course, as believers, as followers, we want our words to be helpful to others. And specifically from these words and these verses, we want them to be life-giving and healing to those around us. And that's what we want to look at. But in order for us to obey the Proverbs and even other passages of Scripture, whenever we see instruction in Scripture, we have to be motivated to speak this way. We have to be motivated to use our words the way God wants us to. And any motivation has a beginning goal and an end goal in mind, right? So if we're going to speak kindly to others and allow our words to be the fountain of life, then we have to be motivated to speak those words kindly. And so where does that motivation come from? I think it comes from love. The motivation to speak to others in such a way that provides healing and hope and health and gladness in life is love. Jesus speaks words of life to us because he loves us. Gospel love flows from the heart of Jesus, from his heart to his mouth and then to us, to our ears and then into our hearts, right? It comes out of him and then flows into us. And what that does is that creates in us a transformation in which we understand that we've been loved when we didn't deserve to be loved. And therefore, when we go to love other people who are unlovable, we look to how Jesus has loved us. You see the logic there? That's biblical logic of gospel love. And this will require us to drop our pride and our insecurities and our fears and our prejudices and just love people as Christ has loved us without conditions. So that's the motivation. Well, I'd like to, to match up these two Proverbs this morning with some words of Jesus. One of the things I like to do is to just 
when I'm coming to an issue like this, I like to kind of go through the Gospels and see how did Jesus react to people? What did he have to say to people? And so it's just a matter of sort of flipping through the pages of of the Gospels and seeing his encounters with different people. And that's what we're going to do this morning. It's a great exercise, and I really encourage you to do it. So first of all, we see from Proverbs 10 and 11 that our words are a fountain of life. So let's read read Proverbs 10, verse 11 again. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. So words can be violent or they can be life-giving. Which one do you think will show others gospel love? The, simple, the answer is simple, right? At least it seems simple. Life-giving words express gospel love, certainly not violent words. But what is our gut reaction when someone says something or does something that is offensive to us? What's our gut reaction? What's our first response to someone who disagrees with us? It's usually not life-giving words, but rather violent words, or at least unkind words. A couple of weeks ago, Andrew and I and um, Daniel Jordan went to uh, the General Assembly of the Presbyterian Church in America. So what that is is it's uh, a gathering of all the teaching elders in the Presbyterian Church of America, Andrew and I are teaching elders, and ruling elders that are commissioned by each church, of which Daniel uh, is one of our ruling elders, and our church commissioned him to go. And we gather for several days, and we come together to discuss matters of the church and make important decisions and vote on things. And it's, you know, it's a very serious time, okay? Very serious to be there. And... um, we, we are all gathered, uh, 2,300 uh, elders in one room in one big, large auditorium with a moderator and microphone set up for those that will speak from the floor and everything. Everything's done through Robert's Rules of Order, so everything is very orderly and so forth. Well, unfortunately, um, someone got up and they made a statement that I found unbelievably offensive. My gut reaction was this. Boo! That gut reaction and that, what I did, does not fit into the decorum of the meeting. It just came out of my mouth. I didn't know, I was so offended. I just blurted it out. And I'm sure Andrew and, and, and Daniel were like, oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. You know? It, it was totally inappropriate, but it was my gut reaction to what he said. And it was, again, if we're looking at violent words or fountains of life, that was not a fountain of life word, right? I should have controlled myself. Well, let's take a, a, a look at a better example, Okay? In Matthew 5, verses 2 through 9, Jesus speaks the life-giving words to a large crowd on a hillside. And if you listen closely to these words, you're going to see that they are not for those who have their life together. These words are not for the prideful or the successful people. These gracious words are for those who need a Savior. 
and they are life-giving. So let's read those together. This is Matthew chapter 5, verses 2 through 9. And he opened his mouth, Jesus opened his mouth, and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those, blessed are those. Do you see the life-giving words that Jesus is, is giving to the people he's teaching, right? That he wants them to hear these life-giving words. Again, Luke 9, 23 and 25, Jesus' words are life-giving, but not in a way that we would uh, expect them to be. Let me read these. And he said to them all, again, this is Jesus, and he said to them all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever loses, for, excuse me, for, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Somebody say, wait, what? I have to lose my life in order to save it. That seems opposite to the way the world wants me to live. It doesn't seem to make sense. I thought the, the world was supposed to be something that centered around me. I thought I was supposed to gain the whole world, to, to get as much as I can out of the world, to accomplish everything I could possibly accomplish in this world. But Jesus tells us the hard truth. It's just the opposite. Lose your life for his sake and you will find it. Your path will lead to destruction in and of itself, but the path that Christ puts us on when we follow him will lead to life. Do you see the life-giving grace in those words? Okay, one more. John 3, 16 and 17 is one of the most famous passages in the Bible. And here's what happens. Jesus is trying to explain to Nicodemus, okay? And Nicodemus was one of the most respected religious people of his day. And he was trying to explain that only if Nicodemus believes that Jesus is the true Savior of the world, the Messiah from the Old Testament, only then would he have eternal life. And so he says these words to Nicodemus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Do you see the motivation of God in speaking these words and accomplishing salvation for us? For God so loved the world. Jesus and Nicodemus were on opposite sides of the religious debate. But instead of Jesus using coarse or violent words, 
with Nicodemus, he uses words of grace and they are full of gospel love to him. So we have to decide, you have to decide if you will be motivated by the love of Christ to speak words of life to those around you. If you're used to allowing your gut reaction to be verbal in the moment, you're going to have to change if you want to, to allow Christ to live in you and, and work through you to impact other people. You're going to have to change. But how does that change happen? How do we change something in our lives that we are not used, that we are, change something that we are very used to doing? but we need to to make a change. Well, here's a, a biblical process that you can take yourself through. The first step is to become aware of the deviant behavior, like booing somebody, okay? Become aware of that. Secondly, examine your heart and try to understand what the underlying sin is that caused that behavior because there's always an underlying sin of what happens on the outside of us. For me, it was, I think it was the sin of a, just a lack of self-control. I spoke out about an injustice, but I did it inappropriately. And I wanted to shame this person. I think ultimately that's what I wanted to do. And that was the sin in my heart. Uh, so, but it took some examination to get there and to understand that. Thirdly, then, we just simply confess our sin to the Lord. So we're aware of it, we examine it and make sure we understand where it's really coming from, and then we confess it to the Lord. Not just the outward sin, but the heart condition. And the next part of the process is to repent of your sin. Turn away from it. Letting it no longer entangle you. So we turn away from that and say, I'm not going to allow that to happen again. I'm going to turn away from that. I'm going to... To, to allow the Spirit of Christ to put me in a different frame of mind. And when we turn away from our sin, we have to turn to something, right? And so we turn in faith to Jesus and say, Lord, thank you for forgiving me of this sin and giving me the power to turn away from it. And now please work in my life through your own sanctification process of the Spirit working in me, please work in my life to make this change. And then we engage with God in that change. We allow Him to work in and through us and we, we engage with that process and we, we work through it. And it's not going to always be easy and that's what we say around here. We live in this rhythm of repentance and faith. So we're always going to go back. It probably won't be the last time I boo somebody, although I hope it is. But when I do, I come back, I make the same process again, living in the rhythm of confession and repentance and turning away and believing that Jesus is greater than that. His words are greater than mine. All right, so we, we, we want to be people who, who are speaking life-giving words but we also want to be people that are speaking words of healing. So Proverbs twelve eighteen says this. There is one whose rash words are like sword th- thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. In Matthew 8, 
verses 1 to 3, after Jesus comes down from preaching the Sermon on the Mount, which is where the uh, passages we read before, he encounters a leper, okay? And it says this, when Jesus came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Now, Jesus could have said, whoa, 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 wait, stop right there. Don't get any closer. I don't want to get what you got. What you have is a terrible disease. Do not get near me. I know how contagious it is. But he didn't do that. Instead, Jesus says to him, I am willing, be clean. And then these are words literally of healing. The words that come out of the mouth of Jesus have such power that they literally heal the man of his sickness and his disease on the spot, immediately. And in the, the, the fact that Jesus reaches out and touches him, well, that's astounding enough for us to chew on and for a whole other sermon. So we're not going to go there this morning, but think about that. How about another instance? This is John 11. We find the story of the death of Jesus' friend Lazarus. Jesus was not present when Lazarus died. So when he finally gets to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, he finds that Lazarus has already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Lazarus had two sisters, Mary and Martha, and they are obviously grieving and distraught over the death of their brother. Makes sense. But Martha seems to be especially peeved that Jesus wasn't there to heal her brother. I mean, imagine, she'd seen him heal other people. Why why wasn't he there to heal her, her brother? One of his best friends. Jesus has something greater he wanted to show her. And so they have this conversation, Jesus and Martha. Martha says to Jesus, this is uh, in John 11. Martha says to Je- said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, these words of healing to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Jesus speaks words of healing to Martha. The wound is death. The healing is life in Christ. And at this point, she didn't know what Jesus was going to do at this point in the conversation. And so you can only imagine what Martha felt when Jesus said the next words of healing. Take away the stone. And then he says, Lazarus, come out. And at that moment, Jesus proved his power over our greatest enemy, death. 
And if Jesus can conquer death, then he can conquer all of our pain and hurt and woes. The words of Jesus bring us spiritual healing. Now, our kind and healing words start at home, I think, with our spouses and with our kids. Or if you're kids, then with your siblings and with your parents. And we all face things that hurt us, right? We all need words of healing. So what do you say when a family member comes home exhausted and frustrated from work or school? What do you say? How do you respond when they make a mistake or do something stupid? Do you think that yelling really loud is going to help get your point across when you're frustrated with someone? Speaking words that are kind, forgiving, thoughtful, and sympathetic are better than words that berate, demean, and lack mercy. You know, I have to admit that I've said things to my kids and my wife that I will regret for the rest of my life. And I pray that they forget those words, but I've had to go back and ask for forgiveness more than once and let them know that I love them and care about them. Confessing that I was wrong in what I had said and how I acted. And there was an an incident at, at the beach when one of my kids refused to help clean up the house. And I got down in their face and I screamed as loud as I possibly could. It was ugly. It was unkind. And quite frankly, I think it was abusive. And I think because I remember that incident so clearly, because my kid does not remember that, which is the grace of God, I think, But because I remember that incident so clearly and so vividly that the Lord wants me to remember that, not to punish me, not to haunt me, but to remind me of what I'm capable of and that it is not acceptable when I love someone as much as I love my kids. Speaking words of healing to our neighbors, our coworkers, our friends, and anyone else we come in contact with both in person and online, right? A friend of mine was wearing a t-shirt that said, it costs you nothing to be kind. And I thought, that is absolutely true. It costs us nothing to be kind to someone, even someone you don't know, and even someone who is your enemy. It costs you nothing. The words of healing are especially important in times of suffering and grieving. And I've had the privilege, unfortunate privilege, to speak with several families recently while they were in the midst of losing a loved one. And one of my go-to passages is Psalm 139, which talks about how God is always present with us. And uh, the latest time was with the Fox family. And while I was leaving... Um, they thanked me for using those words. You see, I, I don't always know what to say when I'm meeting with a family that has just lost somebody. I know, I'm the pastor. You're supposed to know what to say. It ain't easy. I don't always know what to say. And so my go-to is to find some scripture. 
let the words of God speak for me. And so I just whispered a prayer after they said that. I was like, thank you, Lord, for using your words because I don't always know what to say in, different, in situations like this, you know. But our words can bring a fountain of life and they can bring hope and healing to someone. I want you to, to know that and to begin to think about the conversations that you have, the people that you relate to, and begin to understand how important those words are to them and the impact that you can have on somebody's life. That, that's an expression of gospel love. That's how we proclaim the gospel to our family, our friends, our neighbors, and anyone we come in contact with. We can do it with our words, and we're motivated by the love of Christ that lives in us. We're motivated by the love that Jesus has given us. And it's so deep and it's so big and it's so vast and it's so unending. And we're so thankful that we just want to express that to the people around us. And I pray that's how you will continue to operate in your life. Allow the gospel to impact you in such a way that you speak words that are life-giving and that are healing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, we thank you that you give us life-giving words. You show us how to express ourselves to other people through the life of Jesus, but also through the lives of the saints in, in all of the scriptures. Lord, you teach us the path that we should be on. And so I pray, Lord, that we will engage with your Holy Spirit uh, to learn more and more uh, how deep your love is for us so that we can in turn express that love to others with what comes out of our mouths. And when we don't know what to say, Lord, I pray that you bring scripture to mind so that we can speak that and allow those words to give life and healing. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.